Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. We are so pleased to have Dr. Lise Lewis join us. She was in Cyprus just yesterday and returned back to England at 2 a.m. this morning. That's right, yeah. Yeah, so you look bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, as they say. Um, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And I am so excited to have a chance to have a conversation with you about the use of self. As you know, yesterday we had um, David Clutterbuck talk about the EMCC um, and, you know, the history of coaching, the history of mentoring, and how they blend. And there was lots of interaction between the audience and him. And I'm sure you will carry on in that tradition. Uh, and so we look forward to learning more from you and, and about your research, because you've are, you've done research and you're also going to share with us some information about keynotes that you're doing about AI in coaching. So I look forward to hearing about that. So I'll turn it over to you to, uh, to kick it off for us. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Karen. And um, a big hello to everyone that's listening. And I do hope that you join in this conversation by asking as many questions as you want to. And I said to Karen earlier that I'm, I'm very happy to be interrupted partway through what I'm saying, just so that um, you, can, you can get answers to some of the questions that you want. So, now, Lise, can you speak louder or adjust your volume? Because we're getting feedback that, that it's hard to hear you. So can people hear me now okay? I think that's better, yes. All right. Yeah? Yes. I'm just going to wait for someone who came up. Still very soft, I'm hearing. Yes, exactly. I don't really know how to turn this up any higher. Um, I'll I tell you what I'll do. If I've got any earphones here with me. Uh, I'll just have to talk even louder, I think. I'm already talking quite loud. Yes, so that's, I think, better. I just have to really shout at you and hope that my voice lasts throughout the session. So I hear it's better now, so that's really good. So I'm gonna even stand closer and hopefully it will be even louder for you. Okay, everyone, sorry about that slight hiccup at the start of the session there, but hopefully we can get started now. So what I was trying to say was that Please interrupt as I go along, as you did, about telling me you couldn't hear me. So if you have questions as we go along, I'm really happy for you to ask them. And I'm going to kind of stop partway through when I've said some of what I'm sharing with you today, just to take some questions there if, if there's any coming through. All right. So the topic for today is use of self. And uh, the reason I chose this is because I think us as coaches or mentors, whichever we might be, or supervisors, come to that, um, it's going to be even more important in the future about using ourselves. And just that title that I've given you kind of feels a bit like we're a tool, doesn't it? Use of self. But actually, you know, we use models, tools and techniques. And if we're going to use ourselves then maybe we do see ourselves in that way. But I want us to go a bit deeper into that and think, what does that really mean? What's our experience of self? So I'm going to share that with you about looking back about how we know more about ourselves. And I'm also going to share, as Karen said, some of the research that I've done on relationship and to take you a bit into the future about use of self by just a little glimpse at artificial intelligence. So going back to use of self then, so if we're gonna use ourselves in a coaching conversation, that means that we've gotta have great self-awareness, not just good or just good enough or okay, it's gotta be really good. So how do we get that self-awareness? When do we get that self-awareness? And who helps us with that self-awareness? 
Some of us are really good at self-reflection and the European Mentoring and Coaching Council, of which I'm special ambassador, is obviously very keen that we use reflective practice um, in, our, in our coaching and in our mentoring because that's how we learn most effectively. And it's a real strength of the MCC that we do have reflective practice as, as one of the areas to develop ourselves as coaches. So just to take you back about how we know and who tells us and when, let's think about when we're really young and we're with the family. And well, I was the youngest of five children. And any of you out there that have got brothers and sisters will know that brothers and sisters are really good at giving feedback as well as parents. And I had plenty of shoulds. You should do this. You must do that. You can't do this. You can't do that. You should wear this. You shouldn't wear that. You should say this. You shouldn't say that. You should really do well at school. And so it goes on and on. And I'm sure you've all got your own script about that. And then, of course, we go to school, don't we? And then we've got the dreaded school reports. Uh, and I don't know about all of you, but certainly... Um, I suppose I was a bit of a naughty girl at school. I used to get bored very quickly. So I was a little bit disruptive with my chat. And um, I would get comments like, I could be spasmodic in my efforts. I didn't even know what that word meant when I was that age. But it's, you see, I'm still using it. It's kind of stuck with me. So, you know, these, these things build up. These feedback that we get throughout our lives do build up and make us the person and the people that we are. And of course, then we go to work and colleagues, we meet different people. If we work in an organization where they have performance management and performance appraisals, you know, we hopefully will get some feedback there, although some organizations are better than others at doing that. And we get 360 degrees, we get use of psychometrics. All of these will raise our self-awareness and give us a stronger picture of how we are being perceived, and I want us to think about this, how we are being perceived by particular measures that maybe psychologists have used in norm groups to kind of compare us with people in that same category. If we get feedback from our line manager about how we're doing, it's obviously their perception, which is their reality. But how true is that? So I want us to keep that in mind as well. Our self-awareness is impacted by other people's perceptions as well as our own. And of course, we can't ignore culture. Culture plays a huge part in who we are and our self-awareness. And if you think about that, now that we have globalization, many of us, I can see very many different countries on this call today, and we work across time zones, we work across cultures, we work across race, we work across religions, um, we work across all those societal, societal norms that society sets up for us. And if we're going to use ourselves as coaches, how much do we know and how important is it that we have that awareness of cultural diversity? And that we think about all the influences we've had all of our lives and continue to have and how that impacts on us for the person that we've become today. And, and I know we're all special people and we've all got special gifts. And that's what we can bring to our coaching conversation. So I've kind of given this session an introduction by looking at how we develop who we are. So then we become coaches or mentors, and that's our training time. And I can speak on behalf of the European Mentoring and Coaching Council because, um, you know, I have a lot of experience of working with the standards that were generated with the EMCC. And there are competencies about how we can use ourselves as coaches. So the first EMCC competence is understanding self. It's a very strong one in the eight competencies. And it gives us certain indicators about how our values, beliefs and attitudes may impact on our clients and how you know, we have a responsibility 
for example, to stay fit, healthy, well, so that we set a good role model example to the clients that we have. And, um, you know, there, there, there's other uh, competencies there about emotional control. How much emotion do we, we, we bring into the discussion? And um, how do we keep ourselves out of our client's agenda when it's an emotional topic? And I want us to kind of look around that part about how we keep ourselves out of the client's field, if you like. A lot of us, when we're trained as coaches and mentors, are trained in a non-directive, purist approach. So that the idea is we don't give out, we don't give our solutions. This is coaching now I'm talking about. We don't give our solutions. We don't give our opinions. We don't tell our clients what to do. It's all about asking questions, questions, questions until we get uh, to a position where our clients can find the solution for themselves. So for example, there's a, an approach called clean language which is a set of questions. And that was particularly designed based on David Grove's work, who was a psychotherapist um, in Australia. And it was based on his work, working with patients, to keep ourselves as practitioners out of the client's field. He evidently even used to kind of lie behind a couch, out of sight of his patients, so that he was truly out of their way. So we can have that extreme. And then we've got people like Nancy Klein, who wrote Time to Think. And she, uh, Nancy, has put together a framework, which is basically what I'm talking about today in terms of a way of being. Yeah? How are we going to present when we're talking with our clients? And there's not a lot in coaching literature and mentoring literature about relationship and how, how we impact on relationship as practitioners. There's more now than there has been over the last few years, but there still isn't very much there. So all these competencies that I'm mentioning, which you know, other coaching organizations will have as well, they tell us what we should be doing, but they don't tell us the how. And I just, I'm just going to stop there, Karen, just to see if there's any questions coming through that people would like to ask at this stage. Sure. Um, not at this stage, but it does prompt a question, uh, and they may be coming in. Um, it does prompt a question for, uh, for me. So the, uh, you know, <laughs> you talked about the extreme of the Australian a uh, person who physically got out of the way. Um, but how do we get out of the way emotionally to be resonant for the client, but not bring our own emotion in? How do we do that? So um, that's a nice question, Karen. And it's going to be a nice segue into me saying, that I don't think we particularly will keep ourselves out of the conversation. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm going to answer your question first of all, because, you know, self-management is a key competence as well in our discussions. Your volume's a little low again, so you got to lean in. Okay. So there, that's uh, better. <laughs> <laughs> you that I'm, my voice I hope it lasts for an hour because I am <laughs> and I'm nearly sitting on the laptop everyone so that I can close <laughs> the microphone as I can get so, um, obviously you know we we want clients to feel that they are in a secure and safe environment to be able to release the emotion that may be a blockage to them and may be holding them back from getting to where they want to be, that place they want to be, because they're holding tight onto, I'm talking now about maybe, you know, negative emotion, rather than a, a positive, let's all laugh at emotion, all right? And um, so we want to create that environment for our clients 
so that they that they feel free that they can because that cathartic moment enables them to move forward however it's not going to be too helpful if we sit there in tears as well so how far although some people may argue with me how far and that's fine how far do we go in terms of showing our empathy and our compassion without totally kind of falling into a situation where there may be so much of our own stuff coming into the client's field that it, it kind of contaminates where they are and it ceases to be a coaching conversation. We really, we really need to think about that. And I don't think there's an easy answer to that question because some people I, I feel will say, especially if they're maybe from a, a clinical background, it's okay to do this stuff. You know, to get, to get disclosure from someone, maybe they're looking from, for disclosure from us. It's a, really yes. lovely, it's a really lovely topic for us to kind of think about. And that's why I'm questioning that purist non-directive approach. So that's why I said it's a good segue into where we're going. Because I think the more experienced we become as practitioners, the more that we will bring ourselves into the conversation because we don't rely on models and tools and techniques to the same extent as we do when we're learning practitioners. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I just want to pause because a couple people in the chat have raised the question about using clean language yeah. as a way to be resonant, but not overstep the bounds. And, um, you know, they've talked about David Groh's uh, clean language, which is, I guess, neutral, maybe non-directive. I don't know what you think about that. Um, yes, it is neutral and non-directive. Um, and, and it is a way of working. And let's face it, it's not appropriate to use the same approach with every client. So it may work very well with some clients that just need that space that clean language gives you. And it's a very robust model and is very effective. It gives you that space that, so that you can be in your world and you can work it out for yourself. And the, um, the, the, re the reason I raise time to think is also because time to think is about just asking a set of questions, which is enabling the client time and space to think about what they want to think about without us asking endless questions. So they're very similar. Clean language and time to think are very similar in their approach in terms of keeping our questioning um, and our maybe our immediacy to want to push things forward um, that we can tend to do sometimes to help our clients come to an outcome. Clean language and time to think are very useful models to not do that. Well, we also have a comment that someone would like your take on. Um, it is from Alex Van Austin, and he Hello, says... <laughs> he says, Lise, last week I coached a client who mentioned something really emotive and I teared up. She immediately intellectualized her experience and we then reflected on how she did this in response to my empathy. I think this is a good example of, uh, you know, bringing um, emotion into the coaching session. And learning from it and she's interested or Alex is interested in your take yeah um, Alex I'm going to, to talk in a moment about the research that I've done on relationship and part of that was emotion I'm not going to talk about it in detail when I talk about my research but I want to share with you that I do agree that we being aware of our own and others emotions is really important because obviously we don't know what's going to come up in a coaching conversation and very often through our questioning 
it helps the client to release, as I said earlier, it helps the client to release that emotion that's holding them back. Yeah. And so I, I think we really need to um, respect it and hold it uh, and honor it that if we can meet our clients, whether it's with, a, with some tears, and thank you for sharing that, Alex. <coughs> is and it helps the client as it, and is in service of the client then that works absolutely fine i think what what some people will say is it's not um, a strong approach to get too emotionally involved with clients yeah it's you know it might be crossing some boundaries so yeah share the emotion respect the emotion help the client to move on from their emotion and if it touches something in us, it touches something in us. We're human beings. And that's exactly, yeah. that's exactly what I want us to really understand from this talk on use of self. We are human beings and we will be touched. And we can bring the richness of ourselves. That was why I was talking about, you know, we bring our special selves into the conversation. And let's celebrate that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Elise, we are losing you. Uh, the volume is still very low. Yeah, I can't do anything about it, Ram. I'm really <laughs> sorry. I'm nearly sitting on my computer. Okay, yeah. I, I think it's moving in and out. That is why, probably, I don't know. Maybe there's uh, some other way. I, I don't know what's happening. And there's also a question from Fiona that you might like to look at. Uh, take a look at it, and that might be working. Okay. Um, let me see if I can find Fiona's question. Yeah, you see somebody oh, Fiona said, yes, Fiona said, um, she said she agrees that how we are emotionally is key. So when we get triggered, at least to notice the start, and then maybe we're able to either speak to it or uh, raise an inquiry together with impact in the midst of it. And a relational practitioner, the moment-to-moment -moment engagement is a learning opportunity. So would you, what are your thoughts on that? I think that's a lovely comment, Fiona. I think you <laughs> said it beautifully and elegantly. Thank you. Wonderful. So would you like to move to your research? Yeah, sure. So uh, the reason that I brought the past into the conversation was because uh, I could see that some people had more self-awareness than others and bringing this into um, our conversations as practitioners and indeed in organizations I, I need to let you know that I'm a, I work in business so I work um, with organizations as a coach and I train coaches so I have that culture in which I operate. And I was noticing that not only um, was I aware of self-awareness, but also there was different degrees of self-awareness in these organizations. Some people were highly self-aware and others didn't even think about it. They didn't even really care. They just came up to work, came into work and they just got on with it. And they expected everyone to kind of work around that. So there were all these different elements of how people present themselves. So this made me really curious. And I thought, well, I wonder how much feedback we get um, from everyone. So I decided I would do a doctoral research study on looking at the relationship. And I can only give you a glimpse of this today, I'm afraid. I can't give it to you in its fullest entirety because I'm currently writing a book and I don't think my publisher would be very happy <laughs> if I said everything. But they'll be very happy if I give you part of it and, and share that with you. So let me tell you that um, I worked with coaches that already were in, uh, in business and I asked them to make observations on their practice about what was happening between them and their clients in the relationship. And I won't go through all the questions and everything, but it was really about them noticing the readiness of their clients for feedback. And, and how were these coaches going to know the impact of what the feedback would, would 
be like for everybody. Just because we think, yeah, tell us like it is, bring it on, be direct. It doesn't mean to say that everybody else likes it like that. You know, some people may be highly sensitive and don't want to get it directly. So how are we going to know when we go into a coaching conversation about how people are going to feel? And we've talked quite a bit about self-management and it's about how do we know how we're going to behave ourselves, okay? So I'm going to uh, say a few things about uh, the framework that came out of the research study. So there was a lot of research done in two field studies. One was with practicing coaches, as I said, in organizations, and the other one tested the framework that I used with people who called themselves relational coaches. Okay, so the framework is in three elements of 10 themes. And those three elements are a preparation phase, which you would expect to have before you have a coaching conversation. Okay, you'd want to do some preparation. And the next part is um, proactive, the element. So what do we do as practitioners to make um, the environment and the conditions conducive to a rich relationship and so that we're going to get the best out of our conversation together. And then the last element was reactive. What are we going to react to that's emerging in the coaching conversation that we think needs addressing or can be support for the client? So I'm going to go into a little more detail um, about the preparation phase. And I'm really sorry about uh, Ruta straining but i'm getting mixed messages over volume so i'm just going to carry on as i am so, uh, just don't don't worry about it liz just can't continue i think some of them have their problems in their own equipment i, uh, I can hear absolutely fine most okay. of the other people can hear absolutely fine okay thank you thank you ram for that uh, because i wouldn't like to leave anybody out i suppose so if we look at the preparation stage what are we going to do as practitioners so that we know that we can give our clients the best experience when we come together. I'd like the listeners to think about how much preparation they may do, if any. I know of some coaches who just go straight into a conversation and don't do any preparation. I know others that do a lot. But what I'm going to suggest to you is just supposing, let's have a scenario, just supposing that you've got a 360 feedback report to share with somebody. And there's some pretty shall we say, um, negative, in our view, comments that seems as though they're criticism. What are these people going to do when they hear this news from us? How are we going to, how are we going to place it with them? When are we going to say it? Are we going to go right up front in the contracting discussion and say, look, you know, I've got some feedback for you today and and it may not be something that you want to hear. Or are we going to say something like, how do you feel about getting feedback? You know, what are we actually going to do? But I think, you know, in that readiness for feedback, we need to be thinking about some compassion. So this is one of the themes that came out of my framework. And it was compassion, obviously, for the client, if you, in your perception, think, that they're not going to receive the, the feedback very well. Or there's also compassion for ourselves. You know, it's not the easiest thing to say to somebody, you know, you're not very popular within the team or your direct reports don't think you're doing a good job as a leader. That's not, you know, it's not easy to say to somebody and it's not easy to receive. I am generalizing. There's some people who won't have any issues around this, but there will be some people who have got issues around it. And I am thinking particularly of, of, of those people. So we need to be thinking about how we're going to handle that. And my premise is, if we adopt the themes that are in this framework, then we will be able to, we'll be able to create the relationship that people feel safe in and they feel that, yeah, you actually are there for them. You're not, you have got some 
kind of hard news to share, but at the end of the day, you're there for them and you're going to help them get through this and you're going to support them through it. So that readiness for feedback and the impact is, is really important. So there's also something about confidence came up uh, out of the research and, and a couple of the coaches said, well, you know, it's really important that we're confident about giving this feedback. We're confident about saying to the client that things can be improved. And another interesting scenario that I felt was that one coach said, I'm not sure I really want to give harsh news because I guess I like to be popular. I like to be liked. And I don't think that coach is on their own. So when we think about use of self, I'd like all the listeners to think about how do you feel about sharing thoughts with clients that you feel uncomfortable about sharing? What's going on for you? And how do you think that's going to come into the conversation? Because let's face it, if we're talking about keeping ourselves out of it, it's impossible. We all know, as we in any relationship, as we walk into a relationship, that people make decisions about us, will pick up energy from each other, will know, excuse me, I've just got to have a drink because I've been talking really loudly. So we're asking, you're asking questions, and I want to see if uh, people have reactions to uh, Dr. Lise Lewis's question on how do you, uh, what's going on for you when you have to give constructive feedback uh, to a client? What is, what, what is emoting for you? That's your question, right? So we don't have responses coming in yet. <laughs> okay. Well, anxiety. Someone said anxiety. Okay. That was from Michael. Yeah. yeah, and thank you, Michael, because I think that is very honest of you to say that. Because most people, when they, they have got to give what we might call bad news to someone else, whether that's in coaching or somewhere else, then we will feel anxious about it. So what is that going to do to the relationship? So when we're thinking about use of self, how are we going to get into our own emotional state so that we can be of service to the client? How do we manage that anxiety? Fiona um, has, has you know, shared that what she does is she sits quietly to ground and center herself and allow ease to come into her body. She also listens to classical music, to Bach and to Mozart for about five minutes if she's feeling a bit scattered. And her intention is to work from her heart and remember that her client is like herself, a vulnerable human being doing the best that they can. And she said, maybe how, you know, how you're feeling today uh, about looking at your 360. So she asked the question and she's, she's aware that she's a bit anxious herself. I really love that answer, Fiona. I really love it. It's a rich answer. And I, I will say to you that uh, part of the framework that has been created from the research study is to be present. And that to be present, I'm encouraging people to take up mindfulness practice, yeah, and to do just what you do. That's about being centered. And I also encourage the client to practice mindfulness and to come into the room and to get in a good state to be able to have that creative conversation. That's how I like to see it. Because let's face it, I, I, I don't know about everyone else's clients, but certainly. Some of the clients that I work with come into the room, they've just come from a busy meeting, they've got work stress, they've got work overload. So you've really got to help them to get into a state to be receptive. So I fully agree with Fiona, she's spot on. And she's absolutely right. We are 
all human beings. And it's about understanding those feelings and those emotions. But I just wonder how many people get tied up with their own anxiety and are not thinking about the anxiety of the client. Uh, Liz, I, I, I just have a, a comment on this. When you talk about feedback or any kind of a listening, um, what comes up for me is Otto Schammer's model and the theory you, he talks about the four levels of listening and the highest level being the generative listening, where it's about unconditional positive regard at which you hold the client. And at that type of listening, you really look at the greatest potential of the client and how the client wants to grow. Um, so would, would that be something that is linked with this concept of uh, self that you're talking about in terms of feedback as well? Yeah, it does, Ram. And I, and I do think that the less we say sometimes, the richer the experience is. Because what can happen is that we're so keen to ask the next question or we're so keen to give the feedback and get it over with that we may forget that you know we could just sit and be with our client in this moment yeah? because if our client can see that we we are genuinely compassionate and genuinely want to support them through this and genuinely want to listen not just to what they're saying, I think what they're saying is obviously really important, but what are we listening to that's going on for them in that moment? What are we seeing that we're picking up the signals? How are they reacting? Are they okay about it? Are they positive about it? Is it hurting them? You know, what, what, is, what is going on for them? And also, what is going on in the wider system? So there's, there's an energy that surrounds all of us in the wider system that is also bringing in information that we need to be listening to. And, and uh, Lise, there's a couple of comments here that perhaps what the coach, you know, in the 360 example that you posed, what the coach deems as negative may not be deemed negative by the client. So how do you balance that? Do you give permission? Do you come in with your own notion that, you know, I have some negative feedback and really the client doesn't even view it that way? So how would you respond to that? Well, I, you know, it's an area that I've really thought about as well. And that I, I say to people when I, I work with feedback with them and say, just because you think it's bad news doesn't mean to say other people are going to think it's bad news. Some people will actually love it. So I think, you know, that is the, a comment. I think the point I'm, I'm sharing with everyone is that we're talking about use of self today. And if if we're viewing and our perception is that this is negative, we need to question that. We need to question that. It, it might be negative to us, but is it going to be negative to somebody else? And in that, in that context, I think that's why we need that preparation stage to go through that thought process so that we'll know whether people, we'll know whether it's our stuff or whether it might generally be. So now I have, to, go ahead. Uh, we need to take it in the context as well, especially in a 360, if it's been said by a few people, then maybe that is reinforcing it and it's not just our stuff, it may be the opinion of, of other people as well. So I, I think you have to go into it assuming nothing uh, and being really curious and not making any judgment when you're sharing it with the client. But you've got to go through your own stuff first to do the self-management part so that you can go in and have that balanced view and that non-judgmental view. And then see and how the client accepts it. And then you can work on their reaction. No, that's, that's great advice. Non-judgment, uh, being open. 
So I'm going to raise another question that uh, John has asked, and this is around use of self, truly. <laughs> one of the things, this is John speaking, one of the things that I've struggled with is irritation from uh, experiencing irritation with the client for some reason. How do I communicate this to my client? Because my fear is that the client might sense it. Mind of preemptive st of strike. <laughs> so how how should how should he deal with that? So this is John's own irritation. Okay. So um, I'm not going to make any assumptions about this, John. But I'm going to give you a view that I that I think might be relevant. Um, and you can tell me if it's not. So when we get irritated, what tends to be happening are, I'll give a couple of examples. One could be that there's a values mismatch between us and the client. So the behavior and the attitudes that they're exhibiting goes right against the grain with us. It may be the way they speak, it may be the way they're looking, it may be the way they're judging other people, it could be anything that goes against the values that we hold. And we all know that our, our values are so important to us. So there's going to be a dissonance between the two of us if that client is pressing our buttons, as we call it, okay? So we do have to think about how we're going to manage that situation. Are we going to carry on working with this client or are they just too far off the scale for us to work with? Or are we going to do what I was mentioning earlier and self-manage it? Okay, they're pressing our buttons. However, let's park that. We're there in service of the client. So, so let's park it, all right, and continue to work with them as, uh, as well as we can in a non-judgmental, accepting way. Another irritation can be... Um, particularly in terms of action-oriented people who want outcomes from a session. And if, they, if we believe the client isn't going fast enough for us uh, and is going too slow, because maybe they want to think about things a bit longer than we believe they should be thinking about things, or we just want to push them down the line because we've got an outcome, or we've got something in our mind that's an agenda. I'm not saying this is you, John. As I said, I'm not making assumptions. I'm just giving you a couple of scenarios that can cause irritation. The last bit that you said there about what do you do about it because you're concerned the client may be picking it up, you're absolutely spot on with that. The client will pick it up. Okay. We think about yourself when you're in when you're with somebody else. You are capable of getting a sense of where they're where they're coming from. Yeah? And so we may not always get it right, but we've got our intuition, we've got our, all our senses are heightened in a coaching conversation. So we're gonna pick up all sorts of signals and we need to check them out. Now, the final thing I'm going to say about this is my belief for the future is that we will have more use of self. And that, you know what? Sometimes it helps if we share with the client what we're feeling because what could be happening to the client is they're irritated about something themselves and we're picking it up and there could be a parallel process going on here in that they're feeling irritable about something and we're picking it up and we're feeling irritable. So it's good to bring it out in the open. And in a way, you could say something like, and this is what I would do, I'm not saying it's right for everyone, but what I would do is I would say, I'd check myself out first. Is this something to do with my values? If it's not, then what is going on? And if I can't find a reason for it in myself, I will share it with the client and say, do you know what? I'm getting a sense of irritation right now. Does that mean anything to you? Or what does that mean for you? And I'd leave it alone and listen to what the client has to say. Because often it brings up for the client a situation that they haven't been aware of. They may be feeling irritab more irritable about the situation they're talking about than they realize. Or they may be irritable about something else. 
but give it a try if that's what you're feeling and it genuinely isn't your stuff if it's your stuff then deal with it <laughs> so this gets to a comment someone made around ego and self-management I don't know if you have any thoughts or comments around that. I'd like to hear more about what the person's saying about ego. Okay. It's a big topic. So I, if they would be good enough to put another piece of chat. Well, they said, they were saying, yes, ah, ego, to learn more about non-judgment, non-attachment, and self-management. Uh, they actually were recommending Jack Cornfield, The Wise Heart, yeah, and, and, and this mention, and I love that, this mention of the heart, we, you know, we don't, we don't connect enough, I think, sometimes from ourselves, you know, in terms of we, we tend to sanitize ourselves, uh, when we, especially in organizations, I'm talking about organizational stuff now, we tend to sanitize ourselves and think that you know, we've got to become almost robotic, which I'll talk a bit more about in a little while before the end of our session. We tend to think we've got to be like these unfeeling, uncaring, un inhuman people. Um, and we're not. We're not. So it's lovely to think what's in my heart. And I am genuinely using my heart in your service. Because I genuinely want to support you to get to where you want to be or resolve what you want to resolve or whatever it is that the topic you're bringing today, I am genuinely here for you and I care about you. So do you want to move to the uh, AI? Well, yeah, I, I, yeah, because we've only got 10 minutes left, haven't we? So um, what, I'm, what I'd like to share with everyone uh, at the end of this session is that I think we, we really do need to be mindful, increasingly mindful about what we're bringing to the session and about what we know about ourselves. And, you know, what is that healthy level of engagement without imposing our views and opinions? There is a healthy level. You know, clients will respect us being engaged. Our role as coaches and mentors is complex. We want the client to discover a way forward and what works best for them. But we have to acknowledge there's two of us in this conversation. I just wanted to end that little bit before I talk about AI to say there are two of us in this conversation. It's not just us robotically asking questions from a particular model or a particular approach or a particular technique or a particular tool. We're there as beings. So, what I'd like to um, finally share with you is I've, I've just come back from Vancouver Island where I did a keynote on artificial intelligence. And it was a fascinating topic for me because I'm, I, you know, I'm no expert. Um, hooray, no place for robotics. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, Fiona, um, while I tell you this bit. Because when I did my research for this keynote, which took me a long time because it was, I was a new girl to it all, but I was really curious about what does this mean for us as coaches, mentors, and supervisors? Well, it could mean a lot for us. If you haven't already taken a look, have a look at some of the YouTube videos that we've got um, available about humanoid robotics. Guys, look for humanoid robotics because there's already claims that 50% of all jobs will be replaced by bots, cobots, robots, artificial intelligence in the next 10 years. That is huge. But I'd just like you to imagine being in your coaching conversation and having a bot sitting there with you, the three of you there, and the bot now and again comes up with, oh, I don't know why you asked that question. Why don't you ask this question? Or maybe replacing us all together. And the, the client comes and works with a robot. There are huge claims about humanoid robotics that say they can replace a lot of what we do, okay? So what I want to say to everyone is that 
it's even more important that we are self-aware and that we really show the value of what we can give as human beings. Because if you think of the complexity of our conversations, you know, even having a little joke with someone, it's quite difficult, if not impossible, for a robot to really have that subtlety of language. We'll all have it in our different cultures, so that's one thing. There's also something about, we've talked a bit today about feelings and showing that empathy and that compassion. Really? You know, can a robot really have those feelings? They can be programmed through algorithms to understand how, what uh, constitutes a, an emotion, but to feel it? Can Google fall in love? I don't think so. Can Facebook enjoy a chocolate bar and go, mm, that was delicious? I don't think so. <laughs> so, you know, there's that we can't take away that human element from life. Um, however, I think it is really more important that we start to think about ourselves. Um, and I like Darren's comment about robots are non-judgmental. And that is an area that you know, we could be replaced by. There's already um, bots selecting people for interview, first line interview, they'll go through everything. They are non-judgmental. They won't be screening out people because of particular issues of gender and age and all, all the other stuff we get in equalities. They'll just take people on face value of what they've been programmed to do. But remember who's doing the programming. Yeah, remember who's doing the programming. But the scary thing is that robots can now program themselves. So where is that all going to take us? So there's, there's lots for us to think about in the future on, on robotics. And I, I'm going to stop there because I know we've only got a few minutes left. And if there's any burning questions, I, I want to give that opportunity. So there's uh, some reaction. Uh, I was meaning that when coaches behave like robots, it probably isn't going to bring human beings into the room. So AI may well be in the future, and I may have retired by then. <laughs> uh, someone else talked about having a coaching app, and that's already available, uh, a coaching app. And um, there was this other comment. They said, listening to you, it seems to me that for the coach to, pra to practice mindfulness will be great help to an effective coaching session from the point of view of managing self during the process. So that was kind of before you transitioned to AI, but I wanted to get that in there. And I, and I think that's absolutely right. I perfectly agree with that, that person. I'd really like to come back to the coaching app one. There are plenty of coaching apps around. And what is scary, and I think what we need to be mindful of, which I'll finish with today, is that you can get an app and you can go online and you can select your coach. No chemistry meeting, no contracting, you can just pick a coach. That might be absolutely fine for, say, you know, if you want to set an action plan for workplace objectives, you know, straightforward transactional coaching, I think is very well suited to uh, artificial intelligence. However, I think if we, you know, we really want to show the challenge to artificial intelligence because it's here, believe me, we need to be mindful about it. We need to be thinking about what we're doing as individuals. You know, EMCC is promoting competencies, getting individual accreditation. I know it's available around, and I know Ram, who's holding this, this um, in International Coaching Week, it will give you lots of information about accreditation. But think about what you're doing with your practice. You know, you really need to be mindful about what your offering is. How are you going to distinguish yourself in the market in an unregulated industry that we have in coaching and mentoring and supervision for coaching and mentoring? How are you going to distinguish yourself I would suggest that you think about getting training that's accredited and getting individual accreditation. That at least distinguishes you in the market. Okay. 
I just wanted to do that little plug at the end, Karen, um, if people are interested. So yeah. Anything, anything well, yeah, one person asked about uh, what's your view on coaching supervision? Oh, I've got really strong views on coaching supervision because I am a coach supervisor and I train coach supervisors. So I've got very strong views about it. I think that it has taken time to get a hold in our industry because people haven't seen the benefit of it. But the more that people realize that, um, you know, for us to practice professionally and for us to have that cutting edge, we've got to show that we have that opportunity to have reflective practice, which supervision gives us, but that we can also take any issues from our, from our coaching and our mentoring practice to someone who is going to help us to find a way forward for our clients. It's really important that I, I don't really like this, the words quality manage. I'd much rather see it as a developmental approach in terms of helping us to develop our practice and to make it the best and the professional as we possibly can for our clients. I think it's really important, even if we start off with peer supervision, just to see the benefits of it, how it helps us move forward. And you know, it's great to have somebody there as a support. It can be very isolating being a practitioner and you can come away from um, a, a conversation with a client and think, do you know, that was really stretching for me, uh, and, I, and I did get, let's use the emotion word that we've done earlier, what happens if you get very distressed about a client, where are you going to take that? It's wonderful to have a supervisor to go to, to share that with and talk about. It's wonderful to have a supervisor who will help you develop your practice, and will give you an alternative view on how you can take your practice forward. So if you're not already doing supervision, just give it a try. I think you'll love it. Yes. Uh, uh, Liz, uh, just to add to this, we have both Peter Hawkins and uh, Damien Goldwag uh, speaking towards the end of the session on Monday. Uh, Damien yes. would be doing on supervision and Peter Hawkins, of course. He is going to talk about, uh, because there are two people we said to talk about team leadership. But one of the things that I just want to <clears throat> convey to the audience as well is uh, one of the uh, differentiating features that I see in EMCC, and that's one of the reasons why we incorporated in all our training programs, is uh, for the accreditation, the, the competencies of understanding self, self-development, um, using of usage of uh, assessments and evaluating techniques, as well as models and techniques. They are of tremendous value, and, and also the focus of EMCC on reflective uh, practice, which is, again, embodied in the supervision practice, perhaps in the minute available, uh, if you would like to just wrap up that. Well, um, yes, it is indeed. I think you've kind of said it in a way, Rob, that um, all the competencies are there for reflective practice. But um, I think what we're being encouraged to do is to not just go forward into our, into our coaching conversations and just let it happen. It is about having that reflection on it. And if we want to become accredited with EMCC, we have to show that we are doing our learning and our self-development through use of reflective practice, whether it's with a supervisor or whether it's in group supervision or whether it's with a peer supervisor. Um, EMCC will want to see that that's happening. And uh, I suppose I was promoting the benefits of it, but it's that there's a framework there of competencies for supervision EMCC has, and as well as the competencies for coaching and mentoring. So if you're, if you're interested in all of this, take a look on the EMCC website and you will find lots of information about applying for accreditation. The competency framework are downloadable free of charge. They're a brilliant development tool for you and will tell you all about the competencies that Rand just mentioned, use of self, and all the other ones there that will help you with the process of coaching and develop yourself. Free of charge, use it as a development tool. Well, I, I know that Ram wants to thank you, but personally, I want to thank you, Dr. Lise Lewis, for such an engaging session. We had lots of good comments and learned quite a bit about the use of self. So I want to thank you, and I'll turn it over to Ram. 
Uh, th thanks a lot, uh, but uh, Magda will do the honors by closing the session. <laughs> I'll say my thank you as well. Thank you to, to Lise and to Karen for hosting and for participation from all of our attendees. Um, we will get this video over to you. So for anyone who's had some trouble with audio, um, I could hear it fine the whole time, but it's quiet, but very audible. So you can always check back on the recording and listen to everything that Lise has shared with us today. Uh, for any of you who uh, want to get accredited as coaches or credentialed, depending on where you're going, uh, Coacharia is accredited by both EMCC and ICF, so please join us for our coach training programs. Uh, Karen actually is one of our trainers, so you could train with her if you like. Um, stick around, please, or stick around. Log back in in about 10 minutes for our next session if you like. And if you want to follow up on the topics you heard here today, as Rob mentioned, we have a couple sessions that will um, follow up on uh, what Lisa started. Uh, for example, we do have uh, Damien speaking on Monday. And on Sunday, we have a session on AI, a full hour. So if those topics are fascinating to you, please come back. Otherwise, we will see you back here in about 10 minutes for a session with Lisa Ann Edwards on ROI in coaching. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.